Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers nearly a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. The new year is here, which means it's time to start new habits and make those yearly resolutions. Mine this year was to get healthier and improve my quality of life, which is why I want to talk to you guys about Noom. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all and don't take into account each person's individual needs, which in turn doesn't really set you up for success. Those workout plans you pull from the internet don't think about your individual dietary restrictions, medical issues, or other personal needs. Noom does all of that before building a tailor-made plan that works for you and your lifestyle. It doesn't try to restrict what you eat and never shames you for wanting to treat yourself. And unlike before, I feel the motivation I need to succeed and none of the frustration that came with other plans. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy wherever books are sold. There were two more murders 15 miles away. We have a weird described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird religion. So many times we hear stories that include a sanity plea. It's an important piece of law, but can often be abused. On September 25th, 1982, a spree shooting took place in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. The man who committed these crimes had a past that would beg the question, was he truly not in control of his actions, or was he hiding behind a sanity plea? So, if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, Sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On the evening of September 24th, 1982, George Emil Banks began mixing straight gin and prescription drugs at his home in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. The next morning, September 25th, he woke up and used a semi-automatic rifle to kill the inhabitants of his home. George had a unique living situation. He lived with three women in their 20s, and they were all his girlfriends, as well as the mother of his four children. Two of these women were sisters, and there was a fifth child living in the home that was not his. All eight were now dead. George then dressed in military fatigues and went outside, where he was met with two strangers, Jimmy Olsen and Ray Hall Jr. They were leaving the house across the street when he shot them both to ensure that they didn't tell anyone what had transpired in his home just before. Jimmy survived, but Ray suffered from fatal wounds. George then drove to the Heather Highlands Mobile Home Park where his former girlfriend, Sharon Mazzillo, lived with their son, Kissimayu. 
It was there that he forced himself into the home and shot Sharon before shooting their sleeping son, as well as Sharon's nephew and her mother, as she was calling 911. This brought his death total to 13, with the youngest being one and the oldest being just 47. He left the home after killing what he thought were the only four occupants. What he didn't know was that Sharon's brother was hiding in the closet. He was able to call the police and identify George Banks as the shooter. When police arrived at the scene of the Mazzillo murders, they were able to make a connection with the shooting of Ray Hall and Jimmy Olsen. They went back to Banks' home where they found his murdered family. Meanwhile, George abandoned the stolen car he was driving, took another car, and drove around until he found a nice grass area to nap in. When he woke up, he drove to his mother's home and confessed to what he had done. She didn't believe him and she called his home to check on her grandkids. The police answered the phone. They attempted to keep George on the phone but failed to do so. He hung up, got more ammunition, and went to an empty rental home. Police found him and surrounded the building. They brought in his mother to try and talk him into surrendering, even tried relaying a false news report over the radio, stating that the children were alive but needed blood. Nothing worked until Robert Brunson, a former co-worker, spoke to him and ended the four-hour standoff. During his trial, his attorney painted a picture of a tragic life full of bullying and racism. George Banks was born to unmarried black and white parents, and he suffered from racism growing up mixed race. He chose to date white women in order to make his children not suffer from the same racism that he did as a child. He worked as a prison guard at Camp Hill and would often tell his co-workers of the impending race war that would consume the world. Statements like this, as well as threatening suicide after a conflict with his supervisor, put him on an extended leave of absence in September of 1982. They ordered him to be examined for mental health issues. This may have been the trigger that started this horrible chain of events. George insisted on testifying at his trial, where he stated that he just injured some of the victims, and that the police were actually the ones who killed them. During the closing arguments, his lawyer argued that he was insane. Despite this, the jury found George Banks guilty of 12 counts of first-degree murder and one of third-degree, as well as the attempted murder, aggravated assault, robbery, theft, and endangering the life of another person. On June 22, 1983, he was given the death penalty. From 1987 to 2000, attorneys filed numerous appeals for his case with no success. In 2010, after a hearing was held to determine his competency to be executed, it was proved that his mental state had deteriorated significantly since his trial, and his execution was halted. He is still on death row. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on September 26th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. Thank you for listening to Morning Cup of Murder. This is a daily podcast that tells you what happened on this day in true crime history. In short, easy-to-listen-to episodes that you can finish on your commute or while you enjoy your morning coffee. So make sure you check back every morning. My name is Karina. I am the creator and host. You can find Morning Cup of Murder on Twitter, 
Instagram, and Facebook. I have also set up a Patreon where you can donate a small monthly contribution to the podcast. All those links are in the episode description. Thank you again, and have a wonderful day.